Good morning. So good to see everybody. Um, I'd love to be able to stand up here and say I'm well rested. That's not true. Uh, getting there though, getting there, that's the beauty of the weekend after a long night trip to Franklin. Of course, we'll make the same trek. We're just about a mile away from where we'll be this Friday night. So, um, But late night, uh, it's always made a little bit better by when, obviously. Um, you know, when you win, you got to come in and try to calm down from the excitement. And when you lose, you sit there and think about all the things you wish you'd done different to maybe have a different outcome. And so it's just kind of one of those deals. You just get used to coming in on Friday and laying there awake uh, until you finally get calmed down. But it is good to be with you. Um, so thankful to have that opportunity. Thankful that uh, I think my kiddos and wife probably listen along. Daniel had a little pink eye, and so uh, it wasn't quite gone yet, Dr. Spears, so we, we held him at home. He's still a little bit of pink there, but uh, I can't figure out if it's actually what he has or how much he's fought us in putting those eye drops in that keeps his eye red. I don't know. Uh, but that's been interesting. It's been pretty cool uh, to see how that kind of works. I'm always interested in science and medicine, obviously not enough to put enough time into it like you guys have. Dr. McCauley, uh, you know, uh, always kind of dabbling in it, that kind of thing, especially with my background and things that are going on. And, you know, we're on our way back from the game Friday night, and I'm kind of going through the motions and, you know, that, that whole idea of trying to, like, calm down a little bit. And I run across this post on social media that's talking about all these different beliefs on the justice of God, the mercy of God, and how all that works and how mankind is tried to come up with these words and definitions, you know, the one that keeps coming to mind, universalism and that type of thing. And it's kind of deep. And I'm like thinking, what in the world? I can't wrap my mind around this. And then this verse from Isaiah 55, where he says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. And so, you know, those things are fun to think about. I find them fun. You may be sitting there going, what a nerd. And I understand that too, right? Who in the world just wins a football game and then gets involved in all that stuff? And that would be me, you know. And I'm sitting there thinking, you know, there's 7 billion, probably approaching 8 billion people on the planet. And I wonder if there's anybody else riding home from a football game thinking about universalism. And stuff like that, you know, and, and I think about that. And then, of course, we're talking about Ephesians this year at school is one of our themes. And you get in Ephesians 3, verse 20 and 21, where he says, you know, you, know, my, you can't even think of the ways in which I'm going to bless you. You know, I'm, I'm above and beyond your thought process. And I think a lot of times we try to dictate to God how things are going to work. And the Bible tells us that he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. You know just enough, right? You know what you need to know to get you through. And it's going to be amazing one day when it's all crystal clear and there'll be things that we thought, oh, that's what that means. Oh, that's what that was supposed to be. Okay, right? And that's where that grace and mercy comes in. Uh, and where God, you know, as, as Paul says, he winked at our ignorance and now he calls all men to what? Repentance. And really, repentance is enough to keep us busy. Did you know it? Right? A repent. Maybe I'm speaking for myself. Maybe I'm alone in this. But repentance itself is enough to keep old Coach Creasy busy. Right? Because there's a lot of things to repent of. Now, the beauty of that is, is that we don't necessarily have to go boom, boom, down the list. Right? Because that would keep us busy. Just like counting our many blessings, name them one by one, we'd be here all day. Right? 
And so as we get into Zechariah chapter 2, I know that's a long introduction, but Zechariah chapter 2, we begin to see some of the ways in which you know, our thoughts are not his thoughts. His thoughts are not my thoughts. His ways are not my ways. And you know what? The more I live, the more I'm so happy about that because my ways are so stinking faulty. Right? Like I said, you lay awake all night long, coach, and think about all the things. Man, I wish I'd have done this. I wish I'd done that. We won. We won big. And I'm still sitting there going, well, you know, we could have done this. We could have done that. Right? And if you live your life that way, you can be consumed by that. But God has brought us freedom. He's brought us all these wonderful things so that we don't have to live a life of chasing our own tail. And I think that we can see that in our world today. There are so many people who are chasing... They want hope and they want justice and they want all these things, but they keep going to the wrong solutions, right? If we elect the right guy, he's going to solve all of our problems. And yet we continue to forget that a lot of times they're the source of our problems. And so my encouragement to you, if you don't get anything else out of Zechariah 2... We have the ultimate being who has all the solutions to our problems and even the ones that we have no idea and can't understand, we one day will come face to face with the solution to all of our problems. The, the one being who can itch or scratch all of our itches, right? That, that can hit all the spots that we're missing. And the beauty of that is, is that we can experience a large degree of that in this life and right now. And so we begin to look, and I want you to understand that in Zechariah 1, there is this universal God that sits on the throne. And that's kind of where we start. He sees everything that's going on. Every wrong will be made right at some point, in some way. God is always going to get His man in one shape, form, or fashion, or the other. It is our prayer that He gets you now. Right? Uh, I'm, I'm not above reproach, but I will admit, he's got me. He's got me. And there are some people, and that's really the difference between all of us. Those who are Christian, those who are believers, we already say, hey, he's nailed us, right? He's got us. We're in him. We believe in him. That's where we find our hope. That's where we find our mercy, our grace, our strength, all those things. And then there are people in the world running around who have yet to admit that and yet to accept it. Paul tells us, and I say this every week, that one day those people will confess. We're just trying to do it and get them to do it now before it's everlasting too late. And so that's really the difference between if you're sitting here today and you're not a Christian, that is... The only difference is I have accepted what He has done and I believe and I find my hope in it and I live from that every single day. It's the only thing on Sundays that gets me out of bed. And so Zechariah 1, he's talking about this universal approach and view of God. And then they start, he starts bringing it down. At the end of chapter two or chapter one, you see this vision of the nations. Then he brings it to earth. And then now in chapter two, he's Jerusalem. All right, there's a, there's a city. Uh, for those of us that have toured music from time to time, we're making the cities, right? We're making the towns. And that was exciting, right? Uh, it's not so exciting anymore. I, that sounds like really kind of punishment now to be traveling all the time, right? Uh, you know, I make a few trips to Franklin for a couple of football games, and I'm like, that, that does me. And I don't have to go back to Franklin for a while. You know, I, I've checked that box. Uh, but, you know, he's coming to your town. 
right? At some point, and I say coming because he's everywhere, but he's going to bring it home to you someday. And once again, we're trying our best to get it to there. So today, we're talking about the future prosperity of Jerusalem. And, and however you view that, right? You can view it like we did last week, Revelation 22, where he says the, the city of God, there will be a new Jerusalem. And however you feel about that, right? There's some people who knew Jerusalem. And then there's some people that are like, new Jerusalem. And then there's like, new Jerusalem. And so there's a bunch of different views on that. And I think there's some righteousness to all those, right? And so I'm not going to here try to to get you to change your mind on direction of New Jerusalem today. But what I'm going to tell you is there's connecting the dots. And, and, and this reminds me, as we look at verses 1 through 5, it begins to talk about these walls that God builds. right? And if God builds a wall, it's not coming down. If God wants the wall to come down, He'll bring it down with a bunch of people awkwardly walking around the wall and blowing trumpets. You know, He'll do it however He wants. Uh, and in that case, and that's how He used it. Uh, maybe it's a family member in your life, right, that, that just knocks your walls down. Uh, maybe it's a preacher. Maybe it's whoever. But God is using people to change us. Hopefully, it's all built in the Spirit. So let's look at 1 through 5. When I looked again... I saw a man with a measuring line in his hand. Where are you going, I asked. He replied, I'm going to measure Jerusalem to see how wide, how long it is. And so, what do you think of? This is being prepared. He is building something in Jerusalem, and he's measuring it. You know, a novice person like me who, when I start building things, I'm not really thinking ahead of time. That's one thing Daniel and I have in common about building things. We're not thinking about the end result. We're thinking about destroying it, right? How can I keep this either A, from being destroyed, or B, the fun in destroying it? And God, when He builds something, He measures it. He's prepared. And He's going to build it in such a way that if you'll let me use this verse, and I'll talk about it in a minute, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And if the gates of hell can't prevail against it, Babylon can't prevail against it, Rome can't prevail against it, the United States of America can't, uh, prevail against it. And so he's, he's fail-proofing, you know. Uh, user fail is really the reason why nothing works for me. It very rarely is the tools. It's very rarely the materials. It's always the guy who's putting it together, you know. Uh, when a teacher and I have a, a schedule mishap, I usually go with them because they're 99% right because I'm usually not into that world and I'm not detail-oriented. And so I immediately get, do you do that with God? When God says something, well, He's right. I'm not. More importantly, He's righteous, and I'm not. So He's, he's preparing. Then the angel who was with me went to meet a second angel who was coming toward Him. The other angel said, hurry and say to the young man, Jerusalem will someday be so full of people and livestock that there won't be room enough for everyone. Many will live outside the city walls, then I myself will be a protective wall of fire around Jerusalem, says the Lord, and I will be the glory inside the city. And so he's saying, yeah, you can build a wall, and that's great, and I want you to do that. But the true protection is the wall that I will build, that I will be. And so then you get that reference. You get the reference back to Exodus, right? He led the people in that cloud, uh, and then by fire. And then you get the reference to Matthew 16, 18, where Jesus tells his disciples, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And a lot of scholars believe that he's sitting and he, he's referencing a physical place 
where children were sacrificed, among other things, I'm sure, and he points at it and he says, the gates of hell. He uses an image that they would have gotten. Hey, this is a place that's bad. It's been used for terrible things. And the gates of hell, things like this that affect you and hurt and bring pain and cause you to be distraught, distraught, will not prevail. And I want you to understand that the idea here is not necessarily a defensive measure, although, you know, the best defense is an offense. I don't know. Anyways, and so he says, it's not only is it going to protect you, but it's also going to be aggressive. And I find so much in that, that a lot of times we just ignore about the spirit, right? Satan is aggressive. And I tell the students that, hey, sin is aggressive. The world is aggressive. It's not going to leave you alone. You cannot find an island that is far enough away that the ills of this world is, are not going to affect you because you're going to get old. You have an expiration date. You're going to fall apart. It just is the way things are. But just as aggressive as sin is, the Holy Spirit, I believe, is more. And I think that's the statement that he's making here. I will call all people. And when, he, when God uses all, that's a... That's a better defined all, right? There's not going to be anything that keeps people from me other than themselves. You think about that. We can plan and we can prepare. And we'll be doing that this week, playing another football game. But you also have to prepare for the things that you haven't prepared for. You know, it's a, you've got to be able to play through those. you got to be mentally tough. We got that lesson two weeks ago, and you just got to keep plugging. And at some point, our flesh gives up on us, and it falls through, and you get tired. You, you know, 10 years ago, if you just said, hey, Travis, 10 years from now, you're going to take a nap on Sunday afternoon, and you're just not going to make it to the week. <laughs> you're ridiculous, right? I don't need sleep. What's that? You know? And now it's like I'm planning my entire weekend around naps. You know, because i got to get ready to go again. The Spirit doesn't do that. Do you know tonight when you lay your head on the pillow and you go to sleep, the Spirit of God's working? That's a great thing, right? I I used to worry about my kids, you know, football game. They go and they're going to go do all these things and whatever, you know. And a lot of times I don't want to know, you know. You just do. But the beauty of that is is I need rest and, and I literally stop and rest the Spirit of God doesn't. It's working 24-7. It's those things that we say to kids that maybe they don't get, and then like 10 years later, like, boom, I remember that, you know. Old Coach Creasy used to harp on that all the time. I hated him for it, you know, but there it is in the back of my brain, you know. Uh, And and so those are the things that come back to us that we take hope from. I can't imagine being the disciples and seeing the things that they saw, saw the destruction that they saw, saw their brethren killed in terrible, awful ways. that You couldn't even treat a dog like that these days. And yet they would fall back on the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We can keep pushing. We can keep going. Verses, verse 8 of chapter 2. We're going to look there very quickly and... The exiles are called home is the headline that I have under that text. But verse 8, After a period of glory, the Lord of heaven's army sent me against the nations who plundered you. For he said, Anyone who harms you harms my most precious possession. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. I will raise my fist to crush them, and their own slaves will plunder them. Then you will know that the Lord of heaven's armies has sent me. And 
Two things here. Verse 8, literally in the Hebrew, is they will push themselves in the eye. Right? They will push themselves in the eye. He says, by, by plundering Jerusalem and, and running over them and destroying their things, you inadvertently have brought judgment on yourself. Coach Witt, it's almost an unwritten rule that they catch the second guy. Right? And we tell, hey, that guy throws a punch at you and you throw one back, guess who the, who's getting the flag? I don't, it must be in a rule book somewhere. Like people just quote that verbatim like it's in there. Well, rule 10, 9, 8. The second guy gets it. But it's true, right? It's true every time. And you see it almost here. Hey, you, by overstepping and using your authority to run over the people of God, have inadvertently brought judgment on you and a judgment that will last. More and more I read Matthew 7 and where God talks about don't waste your time. Uh, Let me translate it there to transliterate, if you'll forgive me. Don't waste your time judging people. Because your judgment won't last. Your judgment dies with you. I oftentimes think about elderships, and I don't give advice. I've never given ours any advice, really, without them asking. And then hopefully they just throw it out the window, you know. It's, who cares? You know, but my one thing to people who are older has always been, do you want people to continue to do the things that you like because they love you and they want to honor you? Or do you want them sitting there thinking, man, I can't wait till so-and-so is done and he's out of here so we can do whatever we want? That's two very different approaches. There are tons of people out there that I have done things for because I respect them. Don't necessarily agree, right, that that's the best path, but I respect them so much that I'm willing to put what I want on the back burner. And then there are those people that you're literally like, I'm going to do it this way just because I know it will make them mad. And that's me repenting, right? That's just me telling myself. But which aspect do you want, right? And he says, as it says here in Matthew 7, he says, how can you judge the speck in your brother's eye when you've got this ginormous plank in yours? Well, you can't. I have a hard time seeing without that thing in my eye, much less with it there. And I can't help but think about that in verse 8 where he says, hey, listen, by coming and doing the things that you've done to Jerusalem, all you have done is made it worse for you in the long run. I see that in Matthew 7. You've got so many other things to be about other than policing what everybody else is doing. And you know what? When you're living the way you're supposed to do, the judging takes care of itself. It's amazing. It's, it's a wonderful thing. The more and more I live, the more and more I'm so happy that I'm not given the responsibility to police what everybody else is doing. Yes, there are those times that Paul commends those people at Corinthians. Hey, you've got to do something about this. But I imagine those are times that are just almost to the point of have to. You have to take care of this. You've got to stop ignoring it. And so he says, what is your most valuable thing? I'd say time and your soul. He says, don't cast those things before swine because they don't understand the value. Doesn't that ring true today? To a lot of people out there, to two specific individuals over the next few months, you're a vote. You're a vote, right? And even that really isn't enough for them to know your name (laughs) or really, you know, deep down care about what's going on. Right? We can all name those people. You know, you see the post. Well, if you die today, tomorrow, that your boss will replace you the next day. You know, 
And whatever, whether that's true or not, whatever how that works, who sees the true value of you, right? And, and that's God. And who do you live for? I tend to live for everybody else and what value they put on me. So then you get to chapter or verse 9, and I think about plundering. You know, we went to Alberville yesterday, and my kids just fleece everybody there, man. Everybody. I mean, they just give them money, every bit of change they got in the house. My kids walk out the door with it, you know, and I'm taking it away from them because money is covered in germs, you know. And I, they're mad at me. Oh, I can't believe you. They just, it's literally like the slaves leaving Egypt. You know, they just take food, cake, everything. We load up. We always leave with more than we cook, you know, because they just fleece everybody. And God says, not only are these people going to bring judgment on you, they're going to possess all your stuff anyways. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. All these things. Now, our definition of all these things changes, right? Right now, my kids love change. They love a quarter, man. A quarter is a jackpot. And then if you give them a piece of paper, dollar bill green, whoa, now we're rolling. Dollar general, here we come, you know? They get to be my age, it's not going to be that big a deal, right? And so as we mature, the important things change. The, the priorities change. Time becomes so valuable. Have I made my kids a priority this weekend? At some point, have I looked at them and they looked at me and they knew they're a priority in my life. And it's amazing how those things evolve. You know, the theme of Zechariah is returning to the Lord and He will return to you. Chapter 1, verse 3. And once again, another story from Jesus comes to mind. The prodigal son. The prodigal son. I think that a lot of times we think of God and He's sitting on His porch. Oh, He'll come back. And when He does, I'm going to make Him grovel. I'm going to make Him beg and plead. And I think the world has a a view of that because I think as Christians sometimes we project this idea that we are the ones who are running the show and we're the ones who make the rules and we're the ones if you don't make us happy then you're out you're done and that's so sad because even in the wrathful God Old Testament we see a God who when we take an inch in his direction he returns to us runs to meet him I want you to think about someone that you've lost. And it can be physically. I mean, they could be gone. They could have moved on to their final reward. Or maybe it's just someone that you're separated from and and you don't have the relationship. And I think every one of us have somebody in our life that we wished our relationship was a little bit better. And how amazing it would be to see them just ride over the ridge or get that text or that phone call of, hey, you know, I I don't know what's going on, but I want to be close to you again. How amazing would that be today to get that message? And we have a God who says that over and over and over and yet again, over again to His people. People who have cheated on Him, who have been unfaithful to Him, who have all the rules and all the things that pertain to life and godliness, His personal possession... And yet every time they're ready to return, and even really kind of before that, he's got open arms. 
This morning, I want to encourage you to understand that the very same God has those very same feelings for you. If you're a Christian, you've experienced that. And there's nothing in your life that you want more for a non-believer than to experience that. Because it's addictive, right? It's just, it hooks you. You know, and, it, and it's amazing to see these people who are addicted to whatever they're addicted to, and all of a sudden, they've got a new addiction. And it's the love and mercy and grace that can be found in Jesus Christ. And, and I've experienced that here at Riverside. We're not a large group. We're not an overflowing group of numbers. But I will tell you this, we are a loving group. And, and they, they just pour out their love on you. And, and there's nothing that they want more than to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And they'll let the Spirit move them. And I'm going to be honest with you. There are going to be times where that's uncomfortable. And you'll be like, wait a minute, you're in my personal bubble here, you need to back up, right? Uh, but once again, I'm going to just go ahead and warn you, as I plead with you to give in to this feeling, the Spirit will not leave you alone. <laughs> he's going to keep pushing, and He's going to want to do surgery on things. He's going to want to remove things from your life, but it is always with your best interest in mind. Now, I want you to quickly think about how many people in this world truly have your best interest in mind. Every time. I wish I could say that I always have best interests for my wife in mind, but I'm going to be honest with you, I'm a pretty selfish individual. There are times, I'm hoping I'm pushing that like 80, 85%, like where I'm sacrificial and, man, she just sees that in my life. But I'm going to be honest with you, Jesus still tears me up, man. I mean, because he's 100% best interest at heart. There's nobody who will sacrifice for you like Jesus has. And I want you to know that. If there's any way that we can assist you in that this morning, we're going to sing this song of encouragement. That's exactly what it is. It's not that if you come forward, we're all going to stand around and go, I can't believe so-and-so's got those problems. More than likely, it's going to be like, I know what that feels like. And maybe I should do the same, you know? And, and it's a glorious thing. And the angels rejoice. And we probably could be a little more like that. And hopefully we are. This morning, if you have a need of any kind, why don't you come as we stand and sing?